Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Big up yourself and welcome to Rulerish Podcast. Um, I'm your host, Trunk. I'm joined as ever by Mr. Raji Baines. Hello, Raj. How are you doing? Not too bad, mate. You some? Yeah, good. Thank you. Also joining us in the house is Mr. Sebastian Stafford Bloor. Big up, rude boy. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you, mate. That's good. <laughs> Rinse out. Um, so, we, uh, we recorded. Um, just to get it out of the way, we recorded directly after the Man United game our Rule the Roost Extra Slice, um, which Seb is viciously campaigning against calling. But uh, I think it's going to stick, don't you, Baines? I like that name. An Extra Slice, maybe? No? Uh, we'll do it as and when we can. I mean, yeah, every okay. time somebody's asked, we've had, you know, the feedback has, has all been really positive, which is obviously appreciated when people let us know what they think, especially when it's when it's nice things. Um, but given that we play most of our games on on weekends and and weeknights, um, we do try and keep Tuesday nights free for this as much as we can, and given that we are free in, in other aspects of our life, um, we'll do them as and when possible. We can't obviously make any guarantees it'll be every week, because with me having this uh, town season ticket on Saturdays and and you two having lives outside of of doing this podcast somehow. Just about, just about. Yeah, say that, just about. But really, I mean, I I, I I don't think there's ever been a day when I haven't been able to record this podcast. You give me five minutes notice, <laughs> and I'm ready to record. Which is, you know, thinking back, I should have at least pretended to have been busy once or twice. That's just dedication. I mean, I know, like you know, you're in the past you've cancelled like family meals and stuff to do a podcast, yeah, haven't you? Pretty much. Like, yeah. it's, just you know, it's, yeah, exactly. it's the top of my priority list. So Seb was this... actually married with kids before he joined the podcast. <laughs> yeah, he was. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll do them. We'll do them as and when we can. Um, that's that's about as as much as assurance we can do. We 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 enjoy putting it together, and essentially, it is what you hear is the conversation that we immediately have after the game via text message. So, if we're if we're Andy, if we're in our houses, and if there's all three of us available, then we'll do it. If not, then you can you can wait a couple of days, and we'll have a have a slightly less refreshed version of that same talk. I don't know. Our WhatsApp conversations have usually got a bit more bitching about people on Twitter in them, though. Yeah, so, there's, yeah. there's a bit more, um, a bit more bite to that conversation. Yeah. I dare say, a few of you listening now have probably been uh, fallen victim to our, uh, you know, awful catcalling between one another. So just don't be twats, basically. Um, we probably so, got a secret yeah, if you want to, as well, if we're honest. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If you want to hear our thoughts on Manchester United, just go on to rtrpod.com or 
uh, yeah, go on to the ACAS site, which I should have been more prepared and remembered the name of, but we've got various different ways and means, iTunes, so on and so forth. You'll be able to hear our thoughts on the Man United game. So we're going to go straight into Stoke. Um, which is always a fun affair, isn't it, lads? You know, we're always uh, we're always eager to to play this team. It's a team that, in past, I've actually vowed I'm never going to pay money to go and watch play football ever again. Like just the kind of times I've seen them come to White Hart Lane and actively just set up to never attack, yeah. to not even have a counter attack on the go, to just literally sit there and say we want a point, this is it. Which I guess is is fair enough in the economical sense of football, but in the actual sense that football is a game, it's supposed to be entertainment, it's supposed to be fun, it's completely fucking reprehensible. Um, so, yeah, I'm not a massive fan of Stoke, if you, if you could tell. It's a slightly it's, archaic uh, view of, uh, of Stoke, to be fair, Jack. Oh, fuck most off, days of I don't care. They're a rugby team. They'll always be a rugby team, mate. A few, a few glamour signings doesn't a summer make, mate. You know, that's how the old saying goes, isn't it? No. Something like that. No. No? No. <laughs> fuck him. That was a, that was no, a strong I mean, sort of big fat man, big fat opinion there, though. I like that. That brand is getting stolen by was. the week. That's great. A hashtag needs the hashtag ahead of it. I mean, if we if we were recording this eight years ago, you may have been on point, but <laughs> times have sli- changed nah, slightly mate. since then. Stoke is still Stoke; they always will be. I think it's we'll one see. of the hardest things, though, isn't it? If you, I mean, I I used to belittle Mark Hughes at every possible opportunity, but good to be able to be able to distance themselves because once a football team has a, a distinctive characteristic, it tends to linger for a very long time. And within a very short period of time, Mark Hughes has managed to kind of... I know he's, he's had the help of a few really eye-catching signings, but their, their style of football has really changed as well. And you know, there are very few people left who, who still sincerely um, view them as being uh, that kind of old... <laughs> <laughs> to see how I protected you there, mate. Um, who, who still view them as that kind of you know, hit long diagonals or work the ball formulaically out wide for a Jermaine Pennant or Matthew Arrington sling the ball in they're not that team anymore and, and that's been a, a really quick transformation and there's as much credit to them as oh, well yeah. for doing that I mean the, it was working for them Tony Pulis football was working for them to keep them in the league to keep them around 13, 14th you know just far enough away from relegation for it to be comfortable although they were slipping slightly towards the end because I think everyone around the place was getting fed up with, with what they'd seen I and think teams have worked out Rog as well like, I, I think that They've been in the division and played like that for long enough, whereby enough tape existed in um, you know, rival teams' video rooms, whereby they knew how to counteract some of the things that they did well, which is always the way. I mean, you know, it's inevitable. Yeah, so uh, he he sort of come towards the end of it, and as you say, Mark Hughes, backed by the the chairman there, who's got an awful lot of money to him, have, they've done really well, and um, the bloke that we've got on, uh, Mark. Explained it really well, and um, he, he's well worth a, a listen to. Actually, he's one of one of my favourites that we've ever spoken to, to be honest. And it's the first time we've ever had him on, um, so that's saying quite a lot. He's uh, I, was, I was very much taken by him. Why don't you go and do a podcast of him then, mate? You I know? might, I might Check, go and sing Why Why Delilah and all that shite they're doing. Eat oat cakes. Now I'm also so jaded about stackers because I went to uni up in that. Yeah, part I was going to bring this up. You went to uni there, and nobody liked you. No, they didn't. I mean, I don't blame them. I, I kind of leave a legacy of disdain wherever I go, but there in particular, wow. 
It's uh, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't one of my favourite shitels. Um, but um, um, sorry, Mark, I, I hear you're a really really nice lad, and I'm 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 just you know a flash southern tosser, you know, it's par for the course and all that. Got Jack Walsh your haircut. Uh, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what was, uh, the other thing I was going to say is, speaking of men I've been taken by, I spoke about this this Big morning button. on the uh, on the um, on the the other podcast I do for you, Maxit. But I still can't get over it. Is um, I'd not seen Kike Sanchez Flores for a number of years, and when he rocked up with that lovely beard and with such a gravelly accent, he ri- reminded me a bit of AVB. And I think I've got a new man crush in him. When he came on match of the day, looking all suave. I was uh, I was won over immediately. He's a, he's a frighteningly handsome man. He's got these piercing eyes and everything. I uh, he, he's me, he's me, he's my new favourite. He's the sort of man you'd like to capture the essence of and bottle and sell. RRP sixty nine pounds. Oh, you know, if you're making like a really basement. Um, sort of middle-aged romantic comedy where the wife had had aspersions of leaving the marriage because the the husband was lazy and all that <laughs> yeah. sort of thing, and she went to like a cookery course. He'd be the person you <laughs> hired to like waft in. You know that episode of The <laughs> where Simpsons where Marge goes bowling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's, that's he's who shat. he is. Yeah, yeah. he'd be the one coming wonderful. up behind her, helping her knead the dough. You know, over her shoulders. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The dough, the but, dough working its way into a big phallic shape, you know, on the on the chopping board. Exactly. That she smoothly caresses, looking into his Stop. eyes wistfully. <laughs> he's got like he's always got one too many shirt buttons undone. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I think we better talk about football or stuff. I've, I've got a weird little football thing which has just flashed up on my um on my Twitter actually. You know um. Depending on when you listen to this, the last couple of days, Joey Barton is supposed to have been going to West Ham. Yeah. Every is he coming to Spurs no, now? He's going nowhere. The um, if you follow West Ham related stuff, you'll know that um, David Sullivan's son Jack tends to kind of, I think his dad lets him break all transfer stories on Twitter, kind of benefit of being man. Of the I was going to say, I was going to say, or make a complete cunt of himself. Well, but. yeah, the, he he, do, he 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 treads between those two areas quite frequently. But he's just <laughs> tweeted that West Ham are definitely not signing Joey Barton. And it seems as if, uh, and apologies if this is wrong, it seems as if this has been an entire fabrication from uh, an agent or some kind of other representative or maybe even Barton himself. It's kind of uh, kind of strange. But fitting of the characters involved, but a bit of an anomaly. My favourite thing about West Ham Twitter is uh, David Gold when he does his weird tweets. You remember that time on uh, Transfer oh, Deadline Day where he told player. everyone... Oh, my God. Yeah. Told everyone not to go to bed, and then <laughs> nothing happened. Was it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Didn't another club do that, like Leeds? And then, no, like, Leeds. Leeds once um, sold all their best players, and then uh, tweeted as the transfer window closed. Oh, there goes another busy transfer window, <laughs> and all the fans just fucking piled in because they, they, they'd. They, oh, I'm sure there was one club. I, I don't know who it is, and but I, I, I thought it was Leeds. It, Last transfer window, their official account said, "All right, you know, don't um, don't go to bed. Like it was eleven o'clock. We've still got one deal to announce." And so obviously, all the fans sort of. And it was a sale. No, it, it was an outward loan of a youth player. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Leeds did something out. very similar. Yeah, they similar. they did do something very similar because I imagine Look, I, I uh, remember seeing. Let's should we, should we talk about Stoke? Should we should we should we do this? Go on then. All right. Yeah. All right. Let's see. So they've they've just signed. We've seen it. I can't even pronounce his first name. Zerdan. 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 
Jordan Shakiri. Yeah. Shakiri. Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a pretty handsome lad. He he looks like he's bulked out quite a lot as well from the press shots. He's in, not uh, a handsome man at all. I think he's fairly handsome. No, he I looks think, like I one of those lads. I think you'd his seen... standards are too high. Right, no, he honest. looks like one of those lads you'd see in a club with a super dry t-shirt on. Yes, he's exactly. Well, going for a cheeky right. Nando's. Yeah, super dry t-shirt and um, some of those uh, Henley that, that's, jeans. That's mainly down to his hairstyle, though. I think at, at base. No, it's his face. It's no, his face and his general he's, body structure. Because no, he's, he's sort of, handsome. with his muscle, he's overcompensated for his five foot seven stature. I bet he's got <laughs> some bad Maori tattoos on his arms as well. Anyone yeah, you like, he does. Definitely. And I bet he like plays as himself on FIFA career mode as well. <laughs> I don't... You know, you know what every, everyone, like... everyone is, is really excited about? I don't think Jadon Shakiri is that good a player. I think he's very watchable and he's very entertaining, but... there's a re- You know he's going to score the only goal in a 1-0 loss on the weekend. Yeah, that doesn't make you a good player to score <laughs> the, the, the goal that beats us, though. I mean, it's just... As much as we might like to believe it is, he's, he's failed at the last two clubs he's been to. Inter Milan and not what Inter Milan were 10, 15 years ago. And they they seen they they've given up on him within half a season, and he's just. It reminded me of uh, of uh, Royston Drenth when yes, he turned up at uh, Everton. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's just when he rocked up at Everton from Real Madrid on loan, and he he subsequently went to Sheffield Wednesday, and I don't think he's even there anymore. I think they give up he on him. He went to Reading as well. I think he went on a real tour of the um, the kind of the championship. But Jakiri just is just someone who like he's incredibly selfish as a player. Like he's he's just he's one of those players that would rather score twice in a three-two loss than not score and win. He's that kind of guy. I, I I'm sure he'll be far too good for a couple of our guys, but um, I don't know. I, he's just a name. I'll be totally honest though. I wouldn't be complaining if we'd signed him for twelve million. Eh, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. At the moment, I wouldn't as an option. I, I you know. At the moment, no. That's a fair point. At the moment, because we just need bodies in the um. In that part of the pitch, but he—he's just someone that you can't play within a structure, and well, that's that's the impression I have of him anyway. And he's just, yeah, he's a luxury item. You're right. I'm having a look now. He's not actually that handsome. He looks constipated in a lot of pictures. He has this funny, unnatural smirk. Yeah. He pulls at the camera. He's yeah. You're you're right. I've I've been too cocksure there. He's not <laughs> handsome. He Instagram photos of himself from the neck down holding bottles of creatine. That's the sort of man he is. <laughs> yeah. He, um, I think yeah, we're really rocking this uh, Stoke analysis, by the way. Lord. I think so. Afalai as well. Another kind of person that's sat on the bench and, you know, he's, he's probably, he's, he's, he's going to have a, a Hatton Ben Arthur type career, I can see. You know, he'll like, he'll have these bursts of looking really fucking good and then just disappear again and get unfit and, be unmotivated and not really do anything. He's a good player. Don't get me wrong, but very injury prone as well, isn't he? Yeah, he's uh, he's amazingly he's already twenty nine, which is giving fucking hell. Seriously, because yeah, he seems to have like he, we, we most people knew about him. I think when he was in his very very early twenties, when he was still in Holland, um, and the expectation there was that you know he'd go on to be at least a if not a top tier player, like a, a second tier option for someone, and he. Yeah, his career has just flatlined ever since. He's been through Barcelona. I think he went on loan to Schalke a couple of years ago. And um, he was in the Greek Super League on loan last season. I forget who. Maybe uh, Olympiakos. Um, 
He um the weird thing about him though is he's he sort of had like the backwards career of Bastian Schweinsteiger because back when he made his name for himself at PSV, he was like a, a deep line playmaker and like played at the like in the, the first band of their midfield and was really influential there. And then he sort of got kicked out onto the left wing as he got older. Um which is a very odd career I just don't progression. Think he's played enough games to ever have established himself in one role. Yeah, he sort of Barcelona. It's sort of like the 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 negative thing of joining a club yeah. the size of Barcelona on such a long contract is they never managed to shift him. They never really wanted to play him, and he never managed to escape when it was when it was you know a time that was somewhat useful to him. He's just sort of kicked around the club, and he's never going to really do much again. It's 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 a waste of a career. Had he you know, had he stayed at PSV, maybe he'd have become a proper footballer. But he's he's had half a career because he, he yeah. was offered a move that I, d- I guess you don't turn down Barcelona, do you? No. But it's it's not um it's not it's worked out sad, for him. But, I, mean, I, I, I don't know the timings, but I think very shortly after he arrived at Barcelona, he he suffered something serious and was you know on the, on the shelf for six months or so. And I, it's just you know he was probably never talented enough to get in that team in the first place. And so if you get an injury then and you're on the fringes, you kind of get lost in the um, in the background forever. Yeah. It's always been heavily linked to us, Richard, so it'll be interesting to see how it uh, how it plays out. But just quickly before we do go over and speak to Mark, um, I mean, when you look at the kind of the two teams on paper, I know I was pretty scathing of Stoke in the first place, but, it, it, you know, it's foolish to deny that they've actually improved a hell of a lot as a team. Um, then... Would you say they're that far away from us at the moment? Take away kind of like projects and long-term ambition and scalable ambition. Um, in terms of just numbers, men on the pitch at the moment, they're going to give us a game, aren't they? It's yeah. not going to be a walkover. It's going to be a game, but I think they're demonstrably worse than we are. Do you think? Yeah. I mean, uh, they've got players in their side who are who are definitely a level below what we have. The yeah. manager definitely isn't as good as we are. Um, they are a, a, a top tier of, you know, their tier of the Premier League, one step below what we are. Your, your Southampton, Everton, um, Swansea-type lane of the Premier League is where they are. We are one, one band above that. I mean, there's not there's not too much between that, but there is enough to, to make a distinction as far as I'm concerned. Well, promises to be a momentous occasion and let's just hope someone can break Charlie Adam before he breaks any of our lads as well. Fucking... Ugly, horrible bastard. Um, I still can't believe he's only like 22 or however old he is. Um, did you see, before, did you, did you see the, the, the moment in the Liverpool game on Sunday where James Milner went through him? And it, it wasn't a bad challenge, it was just one of those kind of like collisions. And Adam gets up with like this incredulous look in his eyes and pushes Milner in a way. And you just thought, how many times in your career? Have you have you put a um, another professional's health and risk at risk by doing exactly by doing far worse than that? Pur- purposefully as yeah. well, like he's a yeah again and again enough times for it not to be a coincidence. And you just think you know there's got to be a hero out there that just wants to injure him. There's got to be something. Just a premeditated thug, like he's a uh, <laughs> just die. Um, anyway, let's uh, let's move on to Mark. Um, Where's where's he from, Raj? Does he blog or anything? Team teamtalk.com, I believe. Off the there top we of are. Head. Mark. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Thanks for, for joining us, Mark Holmes from, from TeamTalk.com. Um, it's been a big day for Stoke. I guess we we should probably start there, given that it's timely news. Um, how, do you, how do you feel about Shichiri joining the club? Um, absolutely over the moon, as you can imagine. It's the, the stuff for dreams, really. You know, we've been in the Premier League a fair few years now, but even so, if you told me that we'd be signing players like Shikiri that, you know, two or three years ago was at Bayern Munich playing regularly, winning the Champions League... And I think I'd have uh, sent for the man in white coats, but it's happened. He's here, and now I absolutely can't wait for Saturday. <laughs> um, you've, if we if we take a step back two or three seasons, as you did with the player himself, it was a very different perception around Stoke. Um, you were often, as I as I'm sure you're aware, called a rugby team and anti-football. And, and Tony Pulis had an extremely negative air around him while he, you know, stabilised you in the Premier League and. Towards the end of his reign at the club, the fans seemed to take a turn against him as well. And when we've spoken to to Stoke fans in the the past, they've sort of gone along with that. That you appreciated what he'd done at the club while he was there, but his, you know, as far as he'd taken you, had, had pretty much come and gone. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. For a long time, the you know the criticisms that were aimed at us, we couldn't care less about, frankly, because we'd just come up. And all we wanted to do was survive in the Premier League, which Tony Pulis managed to do quite a few seasons in a row. And the stuff about us being a rugby team from your friend, Mr. Wenger, you know, we lapped that up because a lot of the time we got the feeling, and it was proved to be the case, that teams like Arsenal said that because they were scared of playing Stoke. So we loved that for a while. But over time, of course, you want to see progression, you want to see better players, you want to see a better style of football. And it had got to the point where it just didn't seem as though Tony Pulis was capable of doing that. So they took a brave decision to get rid of him, which I think a lot of outsiders thought was a big risk. Um, but thankfully, Mark Hughes has come in and not only improved the style of play and the perception of the club, as you mentioned, but he's also actually improved results on the pitch. So it couldn't have gone any better, really. He, he, he's a funny case, is Mark Hughes, because he'd had a couple of, of up-and-down jobs before he'd come to the club. Was there some fear before he'd taken the reins that it may go pear-shaped once he was announced? Yeah, absolutely there was. I don't think there was many fans that, that would have picked him as their first choice. And I think on the day that he was appointed, even Tony Pulis' biggest critics would probably have said, do you know what, all is forgiven, we'll have him back. Because it did seem as though he was to blame for what had gone wrong at QPR. But of course, then he comes in, so you try to look at the bigger picture and you, you realise that he did a very good job at Blackburn and got 
Went to Jorgen to the top off quite a few times. He got Fulham to the highest ever Premier League finish. He did well with Wales. So you start to feel a little bit more positive about it. And then, of course, over time, it's been proven that perhaps it wasn't necessarily Mark Hughes's fault with what went wrong at QPR because they failed with successive managers over successive periods. So I think that is a blip on his career, but I think time has shown that it actually wasn't necessarily his fault and he is a very good manager and certainly now there wouldn't be a Stoke fan in the world that would have Mr Pulis back over Mark Hughes. Yeah, I mean, Stoke historically are, a, are a, quite a large team and a, you've got accolades to your name that, that most other clubs don't. But the modern-day incarnation of Stoke is, is, a, is an odd beast, really, because being from the north myself, slightly more north than Stoke, um, there's a... There's a perception that perhaps players wanting to come here isn't the most attractive place for them to want to come, and and no disrespect meant, but if you know if a player's got a choice between London or or the Potteries, then you can see why they often have their head turned by the big city. So how do you think that your chairman and and the perception of the club has, has shifted enough that you're starting to attract these players from Barcelona to come? Because it must be a bit of an odd switch for them coming from the coast of Spain to to the middle of England. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, any Northern club has that problem, and I include Man United, Liverpool, etc. in that. When there's a London club in it or a capital club in another country, they are going to struggle, and, and Stoke certainly find that against the likes of West Ham, for instance, a similar-sized club with that London factor. Um, I suppose in terms of location, the Stoke hierarchy will say to these players, look, you can live in the, the golden triangle of Wilmslow, Orderly Edge and Knutsford, where all the Man United players are and all the Liverpool players are. So in terms of where they're based, you know, we're no different to the rest of the Northwest clubs. Um, in terms of actually getting them to the club from the likes of Barcelona and Inter Milan, as we have done with Shaqiri and various other clubs, obviously money's a big factor. There's no getting away from that. And the TV deal that the Premier League has got at the moment means that clubs like Stoke and Crystal Palace with Kabai can bring in players that, I think, as Mourinho has said a couple of times, would have been joining top four sides not so long ago. But mid-table teams like Stoke now have got the financial power to actually outmanoeuvre some of the biggest clubs from across Europe. So, of course, money's a big factor. But I think more than anything, it's a little bit of a domino effect because once you get one good player in, uh, in the case of Stoke, it's Mark Muniesa from Barcelona, and he does well. And then his friend Boyan sees that he's doing well and thinks, OK, they're a club on the up. Then he comes along and then, of course, that sends a few shockwaves across the world and a few more players think, OK, well, if he's good. So it's, it's a bit of a domino effect. But um, Mark Hughes, of course, it was a massive name in football, played for Barcelona, played for Bayern Munich. So that also helps. But as I say, I think it's just been a gradual change in perception over the past couple of years with better players joining us and that tends to attract other good quality players into the club. Who deserves the credit then behind the scenes? Is it is it Peter Coates himself? Because he's not a he's not a poor man. He's he's worth over seven hundred million quite comfortably. Um although he's he's in his advancing years, so I imagine there's some sort of contingency plan there, not that I'm wishing anything ill on him. <laughs> yeah. Um is it is it himself or is there is there a director of football that nobody's too familiar with or is it or does Mark Hughes have a level of, of autonomy that perhaps we're not familiar with? Um, well, Peter Coates undoubtedly you know deserves the biggest recognition of all because he actually had a an up and down first spell as chairman as the club should we say in the nineties sold to an Icelandic consortium 
um, and wasn't the most popular man in, in Stoke-on-Trent, to say the least. So it was a brave decision by him to buy the club back when we were in the Championship and struggling. But he did that. He wanted to get us into the Premier League within five years. Um, not many people would have backed his decision to bring back Tony Pulis, who again was unpopular in the area after his first spell at the club. But he put his neck on the line. He did that. And we were in the Premier League within two years. And then, like so many clubs that have come up into the top flight, it is so, so difficult to establish yourself. But he backed Tony Pulis year after year. And in the first four or five seasons in the Premier League, Stoke was spending £20 million per summer. So, for establishing us in the league, as well as Tony Pulis, obviously, Peter Coates deserves an enormous amount of credit. But over these last couple of years, and as Stoke have really progressed, they've changed... Um, the way that they operate slightly they've brought in um, not the director of football a sporting director I think is or head of recruitment one of these fancy names but a director of football basically Um, and clearly Stoke have widened the horizons because whereas we tempted to shop in Sunderland and Spurs reserves quite a bit actually um, (laughs) yeah thanks for that yeah well, thank you for Wilson Palacios, but um, you know <laughs> we've started to to look around the world and, and we've brought in players that perhaps two or three seasons ago we wouldn't even have looked at, never mind have, have a hope of signing. So yes, Coach deserves credit, but also the people that have been put into these into these new technical roles in the club also deserve an enormous amount of credit for, for actually identifying these players and doing the hard work over a long period of time to get them into the club. It's interesting you you bring up a player like Palacios because I mean, if he he's a, a special case given that his issues were were largely off field and they had a had a really upsetting knock on effect to his career, which I'm not sure he he actually had too much to do with himself no. to be honest. It's a bit of a, a, a sad story his, but you were buying these you know unfashionable players. I mean, and to some degree people would accuse you of still having a few on your books. I mean, the likes of Ryan Shawcross get enough stick as it, as it is across the country. Um, how how do you think you've you've managed to sort of move those on? Because you, you did collect a large number of them and slowly you've been shedding them because you were signing a lot on, on quite large contracts. And there was that fantastic piece, I think, by Rory Smith, it may have been, where he described when Tunchai joined the club, and um, there was a game where somebody was red carded and he was taken off the pitch after only having been on 10 minutes and got himself changed and got himself a taxi home and never appeared for the club again because there was just not that appreciation that these players should be allowed to express themselves. That sort of, that reimagining of the club is, is really quite drastic. It is. I mean, what Tony Pulis did time and time again is go for experience and that created a huge problem because he signed a player like Peter Crouch you know, in his late 20s for £10 million, rising to 12. Um, and clearly, there was never any chance of Stoke getting the money back on these players. Wilson Plasius has mentioned, come in for £6 million and has just gone on a free transfer this summer. So the problem was that Tony Poulos was signing established players, not particularly sexy, with no sell-on value. There was no potential in them to, to grow and improve. So that is, I think, the main reason why um, Peter Coates, the chairman, wanted a change of manager and the approach over the last two years has been to sign players with, with resale value and that's why we've been signing these players like Boyan that have maybe fallen off the radar a little bit of big clubs but they're still plenty young enough that even if it doesn't go spectacularly well at Stoke they can sell them on for good money. So that's that's been a change and you mentioned um, some of the old uh, Pulis disciples moving on. Yes, they have. 
certainly um, <clears throat> a lot of the squad players that were taking up space and valuable wages have been moved on. But also it must be said that some of Pulis's signings, for example, Shaw Cross, but also Glenn Whelan and John Walters are still hugely, hugely integral parts of the side. So you do need that mix with every side of the artists and the warriors. I remember Tony Mowbray once referring to them as, and I think that's a fair comment. You do need some people to do the dirty work. And in those three players that I've mentioned, especially Walters and Whelan, they will get around the pitch and get the tackles in. And okay, they might get a bit of criticism for not being the most attractive type of players in the world. But if they allow the likes of Shakiri and Boyan to do their thing on the pitch, then that works well. What's the the next logical step for Stoke then? Because as a, as a Tottenham fan and somebody that spends most of their time looking and analysing and writing about football across all the leagues, it's there's obviously at various stages and various steps in every table a glass ceiling that appears for, for clubs of certain sizes. For ourselves, we're not anywhere close to being as, as financially powerful as the clubs above us in the league. So your top four and perhaps even Liverpool with the amount of money they seem to spend every year. And you've mentioned clubs like West Ham and, and I imagine you can lump in Swansea and Southampton around your, your similar sort of area. Is that is the Europa League that sort of seventh to eighth, sixth at the very most? Is that your, your limit at the moment? I wrote about this last season and, and coming through a little bit of criticism actually from Stoke fans because... Logically, you look at the clubs in the league and the finances and the pull of the club, and really, even by finishing ninth, as Stoke have done for two years in a row, they're overachieving because last season they finished above West Ham, Everton, Sunderland, Newcastle. These are all clubs with larger fan bases, with certainly more finances available and arguably more history and more pull. So not only have you got to then finish above the likes of Swansea and Southampton, that finished 7th and 8th last season. You've also got to hold off all of these clubs beneath you that have got all this money to spend and the pull. So it's very, very, very difficult to go from ninth as we have at the top of, of the, the mini table and the, in the middle of the table, if you like, to that top six or top seven. But I've always felt that the difference between the 6th and 7th team and the 8th and ninth team is probably one or two regular match winners. Now, Stoke suffered from one on Sunday when Philip Coutinho scored a brilliant goal uh, to settle a game that was heading for nil-nil. Stoke haven't I'm going to stop you right there. Um, brilliant goal. Jack Bullard should have saved it, shouldn't he? I thought he should at the time. I said he'll be disappointed with it, and I, and I still think he will, purely because any keeper that gets a hand to a shot that goes in is going to be disappointed. But I think uh, I can let him off just about with the, the pace that it come at it. He didn't get as much of a hand on it as, a, as a, he initially thought. It was more fingertips. So I, I'll let him off, but perhaps I'm uh, <laughs> looking at that through slightly red-tinted glasses. But to go back to what I was saying, I think the difference yeah. between us and 6th and 7th and in the past has been that we've not had one, you know, maybe not world-class, but that level below player that can win a game. Hopefully now in Shakiri. And obviously Boyan and Arnautovic and one or two others. We've got enough players that can settle tight games. So it does give us a chance, outside chance, but a chance of getting in that top six or seven. But for me personally, any improvement. So we got 54 points last season. If we get 55 this season, I think that's got to go down as a success. And the other thing you would like to see, obviously, is a run in the cup. The FA Cup, um, we got to the final a few years ago. It'd be great to get to Wembley again. But um, for me, just incremental improvements every season, even if that just be a point, is a great success. 
tactically speaking, given that you obviously do play a lot a lot more attractive football, it's a bit easier on the eye than it was under Pulis, and I don't think that's a and necessarily a nasty thing to say about Tony Pulis's football because it's obviously very effective wherever he's gone. He's, Crystal Palace fans and and West Brom fans will be very thankful of the the style of football he's played because it's saved their their clubs at various points over the past couple of seasons. But not it's not necessarily what you pay your season ticket fee to go and watch every week. Um, do you think now that you've brought in a few more flair players that perhaps they're, they're not as functional as some of the Pulis signings traditionally were? They're a bit more single-minded in their want to be individualistic and score amazing goals and, and play attacking football. Has that weakened your defensive side slightly? Have you become slightly softer in the middle than you, you used to be? I think that Marcus has balanced it pretty well from open play, but the real problem... Um, in the past two years have been from set pieces. Even now you'll hear the Sky commentators say or the BT Sport commentators say when it, when Stoke have got a ball coming into the box or a corner that they're defending, how strong we are from set pieces. That absolutely is not the case anymore. I believe we finished last season with the highest number of goals conceded from set pieces or, or certainly the highest percentage of all our goals conceded from set pieces. And we don't score too many. So whether that's due to obviously taller players being replaced by players who maybe don't like heading the ball quite so much or whether it's because Mark Hughes is spending a lot more time on open play situations than he was than than Tony Poole's was set piece situations I don't have the answers but certainly from a defensive point of view um, set piece wise we're weak and it is a worry these days because we don't seem to have enough players that are willing to to get the head on the ball first before anybody else so in that respect yes we have um, taken a little bit of a hit but last season, it was not only the most amount of goals we'd scored in the season, it was also the least we'd conceded in the season. So despite that, the, uh, the, the overall, you know, it was a net gain overall because clearly we had a lot more of the ball, we were attacking a lot more, so perhaps we didn't have to defend quite as much as we used to. OK. Um, there's, at the level you're at now, there's, the, there's a chance that you will qualify for the Europa League. And it's often described as a poison chalice and it, and it splits our fan base quite spectacularly between those who just want any form of European football and see any, you know, any, any cup run, in, no matter what it is, any chance of silverware is a positive thing. And any chance of being a success is, is something you should want for your club. Others see the fact that it, it may well have a, a derogatory effect on what happens in the league. Um, this season, more than others, with a, a club like Southampton who have done it a few years after yourselves but have had a similar rise up the leagues and have, have done really well in the, the higher end of the Premier League. Is it something that you really want to see Stoke back in? Because you, you flirted with it beforehand, but is it something that you'd now you've got these new players in, now you've got the new manager and the new style, you'd want to have a, have a fair crack at? Yeah, absolutely I would. I can understand Spurs fans and, and Liverpool fans not being too keen on the Europa League because ultimately you want to be in the Champions League and perhaps by being in the Europa League, that hinders your league form so it worsens your chances of getting into the Champions League so I understand that but for a club like Stoke playing in the Europa League is the absolute zenith of what we can possibly achieve uh, we did play in it a few seasons ago after the FA Cup final as you mentioned and I absolutely loved every second of it I went out to watch us in uh, Kiev and, and a few other places in Valencia and it was absolutely phenomenal and I'd give anything for us to get back into that and if that means you know, your league form suffers one season and you finish 12th or 13th instead of 9th. Frankly, who cares? 
nobody's going to remember that in 10 years, the season that you only finished 13th. They're going to remember the year that you were away playing, you know, some of the, some of the hopefully better clubs in Europe. So absolutely 1 million percent I would love to see us get back in that as soon as possible. I, I, I really enjoyed how, how honest you are with um, the realistic ambitions of your club. It's not often with doing this, we speak to a lot of people who don't really have a have a realistic view of their own club. It's sort of distorted in certain ways. I mean, you had that we had the, the back and forth about Jack Bull and Save, and I mean that's understandable. We all do it to that level with our club, but some people just don't tend to understand the standing of their club. So it's quite refreshing to hear somebody who's brutally honest about what they can actually achieve. We do it all the time with Spurs. I mean, I've I've already admitted to you that we're not as as big or as powerful as the clubs above us and it it shows in the league and there's there's Tottenham fans that would be deeply uncomfortable saying that um and there's a question we often ask to people once we have a, a gauge of them and uh, see that their views are somewhat aligned to ours which is if you had the promise of a, a Manchester City type buyout and um, somebody from Russia with his, his oil money or somebody from the Middle East came and had unlimited wealth and unlimited resources and could promise you a fast track to the top of the Premier League and the Champions League and, and you know, success in, in sort of a, a, a financial doping sense of the word. Is that something you'd go for or would you rather see Stoke take 20 years to chip away at what they can achieve and slowly build the ground and slowly build a fan base and slowly build a team and, and do it sustainably or would you would you just say, you know what, it's sport, fuck that, <laughs> give us 40 million? Well, it's a fantastic question and it is one I've, I've thought about myself in the past. And look, the way that Stoke have done it with a local owner and they've gradually built and gradually improved, I do believe that that gives you the most amount of satisfaction that you could possibly get from being a football fan because there's no possible accusation that could be levelled at Stoke that we don't deserve to be where we are because we have worked extremely hard to get there and to stay there. So that gives you so much pride as a fan. But having said that, realistically, no matter how much we continue to improve, no matter how many people sign up to bet 365 and make Peter Coates a little bit richer, (laughs) we are never, ever, ever going to challenge Manchester United, Liverpool and the like, unless Arona Abramovich or Rashid Mansour does come along about the club. So if you could tell me that tomorrow there was an Arab billionaire who wanted to buy out the club, take us into the Champions League and I was competing for the titles, well, I'm only on this earth once and I'd love to see it. So yeah, bring it on. <laughs> I was with you for about half of it because I'm quite staunchly against any of that up into to Tottenham. If I'm being quite honest, I um, I I often annoy people with how how dead set I am against um anyone ever doing that sort of thing to the club because you know with us building as you know a new stadium and and buying players. I mean. I wouldn't want us to see us just go out and buy a, a Sergio Aguero or something. We have to, we have to do what we did with Gareth Bale. We have to buy them while they're sixteen years old, and then we have to build them up into to being the players. And there's often a bit more satisfaction from that. I mean, I as a Tottenham fan would probably take more satisfaction seeing us struggle to a Carling Cup than winning the Champions League by spilling three hundred million into it. But maybe I'm a I'm an odd person. No, I think it, I think it's a, a very 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 tough choice to make and I completely understand your argument and 90% of the way I'm completely with you and I wish that Man City hadn't been allowed to do what 
what they've done and, and Chelsea haven't been allowed to do what they've done. But the fact of the matter is, they have. And you talked about my realistic expectations of Stoke and my realistic view of Stoke. I know we are never going to challenge those clubs, at least with Spurs. There's that outside hope you may do by selling a, you know, <laughs> developing another Gareth Bale and selling him. It's not going to happen for Stoke. So I want to, you know... I think that's a pretty fair yeah, point. Yeah, I want to head to the grave. I haven't seen us in the Champions League if I can. So if it means <laughs> a Shane Mansour coming in, I'll, I'll take it. I'll give you that. I'm not often as nice to people as that, but you've argued that very well. And I'm not often one to... to shake down on that point but I'll, I'll allow you that one for being so, <laughs> so understanding about it um, if we actually turn our attention to, to the game coming up on the weekend um, you often give us a, an extremely tough game home and away um, and there's been a, a a theme with you at White Hat Lane and, and uh, feel free to, to tell me that I'm being unreasonable but you, but you tend to even under Mark Hughes be slightly more defensively set up against us it's a bit like a, a European away day if you want you 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 sit back and then you try and hit us on the break at the start of halves and at the end of halves and you nick a goal here and there and it's been reasonably successful for you you've beaten us by a goal or two here and there um every other season pretty much and we were pretty much a level playing field on on how many times we beat each other um, so do you think it's going to be a similar sort of thing this weekend? You're going to give us the respect of knowing that perhaps we've got the the, the impetus to, to win the game and you're going to have to be, you know, work yourselves around what we're doing and then and then beat us in a, in a sly manner? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I recall a 1-0 win at White Hart Lane um, a few years back and I recall a 0-0, a dour, horrible 0-0. Um, when Stoke really did shut up shop and, and rob Spurs, really. But I, I will argue your point slightly because I did think Stoke were excellent last season um, in win at White Hart. Was that 2-0? I think it was 2-1. Someone may, may have been Chadley pulled back a, a great goal towards the end. Um, and I remember it may have been the year before, the year before that, a 3-2 that Spurs won and I thought Stoke you know, went for the juggler for for a certain respect, but ultimately when Stoke play away at Spurs or Liverpool or Man United, of course we've got to show you respect because no matter how many good players we bring into the club, we're still going to be a level beneath those sort of clubs. So, um, yeah, we're, we're not going to be going out all out attack, that is for sure. Um, Defence will be the first priority, I would expect. But, as mentioned earlier in the show, it's not our biggest strong point these days. We are actually better counter-attacking and, and trying to score some goals. We certainly won't be looking to hold on for a nil-nil. So it'll certainly be a better spectacle than it may have been six or seven years ago. But whether you're expecting a, a free-flowing six-all, you know, you might be left disappointed, I'm afraid. <laughs> what would um, what would be your, your score prediction from the game? What would you expect to happen? Um, well, I said before the Liverpool game on Sunday that I, I thought Stoke would start slowly because we've lost a few key players over the summer. And obviously, when you bring players in, it it takes time to settle. Um, and that remains the case, really. I think there's one or two injury doubts still. Shakiri probably won't start. Um, Athelai we've bought in clearly isn't up to, up to full speed. So there are a few too many question marks over a few too many players at the moment for me to have any real faith. But I think we'll give you a game, for sure. And I think we'll score. But ultimately, I think Spurs will probably edge it 2-1. Okay, um, the pessimist in me, which I think is an old Tottenham fan, says that Shakira comes on in the 80th minute and scores his first goal, and it's an absolute worldie from the touchline. But I think that has to be the uh, the inner Tottenham fan. But um, 
I think I think I'd take two one to be honest and get his first win out of the way. But thanks very much for your, your time, Mark. It's been a, a pleasure speaking to you. Hope you, you you find the time to come on later on in the season when we come to your place. Yes, I will do. Good luck for the season and I hope you finish above Arsenal. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Cheers. Right, cheers to that, Mark. He, uh, yeah, he does come across as quite a nice lad. Do, do you like how I'm trying to pretend like I've heard this bit already? <laughs> no, it's like, yeah. yeah, really nice bloke, actually. He's really completely changed my opinion on, on Stoke City. I, you know, used to really hate them, but now I kind of love them. And I realise that my time spent at university there also was just, you know, beneficial to me as a person, not only professionally, but personally as well. You know, I really learnt some stuff during my time there and I, I think I've been able to carry it forward and I've just I've needed some kind of you know cathartic event to really make me realize that and just hearing Mark's voice and hearing how kind of like pleasant he was in general has has helped me to achieve that so I'm currently just in some kind of plane of nirvana at the moment surrounded by oat cakes and pottery it's more than we usually get from Cass don't usually get kind of cathartic no, aside for usually when we speak to to the Arsenal ones, <laughs> yeah, when we speak to the Arsenal ones and realise that, yeah, they are they are cans. Yeah. Did you see the uh, tie got um, copped a slap off one of the West Ham fans <laughs> yeah. for getting a yeah. bit shirty? <laughs> I've got to say the absolute state of that Arsenal fan TV segment when they're all just shouting over when like a Man United fan is there for some reason. And that- They've only invited him on because they knew they'd shout at each other. They're exploiting their own fan base for their own personal gain, and it's—I it, mean, it, I know they're Arsenal fans, but it's a level of disgust that <laughs> I'm not really used to. It's—it's it's an extremely odd business plan because you almost think that I think at some level they want them to lose because they know that their losing shows must have. So many more listeners than well, their wins when they win. Watch it when they lose. Exactly, because yeah. when they win, there'll be the odd few thousand of odd Arsenal fans who sit there and watch because, for some reason, Ty and Claude have been deified in their you know club branded jackets. What's, what's the other one called? There's, Claude. There's Claude. There's Bully. Ty, Bully, and then there's one more who um absolute disgrace was talking about. Mo. Mo. Mo, he is he's the he's guy absent. he used to be the Tesco's bean counter and he used to Is he the oh, um he's... is Mo the guy who who um who wears the Tony Adams shirt? Yeah, who says don't talk to don't 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 talk to me about spending, talk to me about net spending. No like mate, the best bit about him point. is when he's there in his Tony Adams shirt and he's shouting at the Man United fan for talking about history. Yeah, it's yeah, like, that's, that's him. That's wearing Mo. a piece that's, of history. That's that's what he's he's about. He's, yeah. It's, he's, it's funny he's a, though because they they kind of like you see them with their little water bottles. It's become a little bit. I mean, it, don't get me wrong. It, at times, it's just the most wonderful thing. I mean, that, the the, um, the post derby uh, Arsenal fan TV was was wonderful. But um, just I don't know. It, it, it's become a kind of people within it have almost been invited to become caricatures. And where Roger was talking about this over the weekend, it's um kind of a, an acceptance of fame for, on any terms it's a strange thing I just having a, a, a working knowledge of the platforms and of how money is generated using things like YouTube um, 
it's you, you do make a point, Raj. It's not you know it's not completely unfounded in that they are going to get a lot more hits and more hits equals more cash for them. And it's I don't know. It, that's that's why it's a very it's a very uncomfortable prospect for me. Like there's a lot of talk at the moment about uh, a Spurs fan TV, and I'm not, I'm not you know I don't know anyone who's actually I don't know any of the people involved in it. I, I know that one is going to come into existence. I'm not throwing into question the character of anyone that is doing because I don't know them, I haven't spoken to them and so I wouldn't care to kind of second guess what their motives are but all I do know is that you know you get a few personalities on there you have Spurs lose a few games you have a few meltdowns you have clicks and hits that start to roll into the hundreds of thousands people are making money out of that and I I I don't know. It's... If it's done in the right manner and it's edited carefully and properly so as that people are, are made out to be rational and that anybody that goes on and makes an ass out of themselves isn't exploited for their own channel's worth, then there's no issue with doing something like that. It's when they do it in such a manner with Arsenal fan TV that it is essentially it's become its own soap opera where people know what characters they have to play. They're doing it to such an extent where people are know what to expect from them and go looking for it after an Arsenal loss and then they're never let down because that's essentially their USP that's what they're trading on is the fact that these grown men are going to turn up in their woolly hats and and shout at each other until they're you know red in the face and it's um it's it's somewhat depressing at present having seen them um because you know it's um it was it was all right when it <laughs> the novelty was still there, but now it's now it's something that's quite established. It's a it's a very odd beast. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. It's um, uncomfortable is the right word actually because it, it it's just you see these guys being almost encouraged to to play those parts and 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 to be yeah extreme versions of their own selves. And it it uh, yeah I I don't know that the. the you hit on a good point, Raj, in terms of the way it's presented. It just um, there are times when when you when you just think, yeah, I don't know. It just feels a little bit exploitative. Talking about exploitative, Seb, we've got a uh, great British Bake Off quiz for you now. Yeah. Um, in which uh, we're going to ask you ten questions, um, and if you get less than what we're we saying, Jack, eighty percent or seventy percent. Well, in uh, Mary Berry terms, I think if Sebastian were to answer. <laughs> 60 to 70 percent of the questions that would be that would be quite delightful. Oh man, that, that's as strong as your Bane voice, that's tremendous. Do you reckon? Oh, Do you yeah, think that was? Yeah, you know what I think of that Bane voice as well. So. That is quite delicious. <laughs> that's the one of her like the big Mary Berry sayings. Quite like that. But I, I, I really like how disappointed she looks with everyone when, when they don't have a good bake. You know, she she really knows when people can do better, like, she's not harsh. I think Paul Hollywood veers into being I a bit harsh. Like he him. wants to be Simon Cow. Yeah, he's I, a twat. I, I found him a little bit affected with his little faces and expressions and, and pauses before he gave verdicts. How did yeah. you find your first ever episode of The Bake Off, Seb? Did you enjoy it? Um, yeah, I, I, it grew on me. I, 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 was, I watched it with the kind of... You know when someone talks about like a, a really addictive TV series, a, a Breaking Bad or The Wire, and you're thinking... And I obviously know that you two are really into it. And so I watched it with a kind of, well, what is it that that caused <laughs> caused that obsession? And it was 
it was fun. I like looking at the cakes and I enjoyed, you know, the, the processes. But I don't know. First episode, I'm willing to give it a try. And I, ultimately, I have to because you're going to keep doing this and threatening to suspend me. If I well, don't. Jack says you're allowed 60% this time. So if you All get right, six okay. out of 10 questions right, we're gonna, I'm going to try and fire them off as quickly as possible. Um, okay. And then I'll tell you after each one whether you get them right or wrong because um, I can't remember. Um, we don't want to make this last too long. But you, you aren't. No, it's not co- a great segment. No. You, are, you aren't coming on next week if you get any less than six right. Okay. Um, but first challenge, what did they have to cook in two hours? Is that the first or the second? First one. Madeira cake. <laughs> yes, it was Madeira cake. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> what, are the, uh, what are the names of the two presenters? Oh, that's not a bake-off quiz. I know. Okay. Um, one, is, um, one is one of the... Is either Mel or Sue. Um, and the other one I don't know. I get half a point for that. <laughs> They're called Mel and Sue, so I'll, I'll let you off with that. Did you think, one <laughs> one was the called, did you think they were called Mel Sue? Which Mel? Uh, they were the original comedy duo, then. Yeah, Mel's the shorter blonde one, and Sue's the taller, dark-haired one. brunette one. Okay, all right, I'll go Mel and Sue. Okay, um, what else can I ask you? Um, what was, the, uh, what was the, the brief on the last thing they had to make? What, what was it? Yeah, what was the cake they had to make? Oh, it was a uh, a black forest gatto. <laughs> it was, it was a black on forest. that. What was some? Um... <laughs> no, we'll come to this. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> no, no, make your point. I just found it weird. Like I, I, I like a black forest gatto. I mean, who doesn't? But it, I think they were just doing things like one guy just stuck an enormous tree on top of it. <laughs> Another one was sort of. Cutting out little elephants to put on the side of I, I yeah, it was weird. I mean it's fun. And um yeah. Just, okay, carry on. <laughs> nothing wrong with elephants. No, nothing so, wrong with elephants, right. mate. You don't find many of them in the Black Forest. Right. <laughs> uh it's didn't stick any owls on the cakes, did they, mate? Yeah. <laughs> think about that, yeah. Think about think about brand and brand reach. Yeah, yeah? No, that's yeah. fair. That's a fair point. Right, I'm going to let you into a bit yeah. of a secret here, Seb. Um, yeah. The reason why the nation loves Great British Bake Off so much is because, in just like all great British things, it is a tiny bit shit. And if you look at all the successful things in England, especially, and Britain across, it's the most successful things are a tiny bit shit. Yeah. Ant and Deck, mm-hmm. X Factor, tiny bit shit. Um BBC. So that's a tiny bit shit in general. <laughs> a tiny bit, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, Mary Berry, Mary Berry is from down here. She's from Bath. Oh, Mary. So you can't claim her as your own when you've never watched a TV. No, 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 she's always around here. She's always doing book signings on our local Waterstones, and she's turning on Christmas lights and probably cooking cakes somewhere or other. But she was she um, she went to school at Bath High School. That's uh, that's nice. Did, yeah. was it, it wasn't one of those things, Seb, where you turned on Bake Off, you're like, oh, so that's what Auntie Mary's been up to on a Wednesday. <laughs> she was actually uh, in the year below, Seb, at school. Oh. <laughs> 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 Fucking endless. <laughs> <laughs> Question five, you bastard. Ah, <laughs> oh, hats off, Ben. Um, so back to the quiz. Um, <laughs> what what's the uh, what's the, the second round? <laughs> <laughs> you two have so much fun at my expense. 
<laughs> fucking walnut cake. Uh, <laughs> walnut. I'm the same fucking age as him as well. How hypocritical of me, but... Yeah. <laughs> Um, you find what? it funnier than Raj. <laughs> I know, I know. What, um, it's just because I'm just happy it's not coming my yeah, way still. like four months younger than I am. <laughs> <laughs> what, um, what, uh, what series number is this? How many series of The Great British Bake Off has there been? Uh, past, I don't know. You don't three, know? Three, maybe. No, four. this is season six. Jesus, really? Okay. <laughs> Jesus. Why do six you sound so disappointed? That's... Yeah, well, I'm not. Yeah, okay. Means you got a lot of catching yeah. up to do. So <laughs> yeah. that's what it means, right? <laughs> <laughs> next week you're gonna have go, you're gonna have twenty questions about season one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be fair, I've only been watching from like series four. Last season was my first full season. You, you know what troubles I me about call it the Great off British Bore Off is that I because I'm hard. I, I wanted. I, I like that kind of thing to be a bit more competitive. So. All the contestants were really friendly and supportive. Oh, no, There's they get competitive later on, telling... mate. They get really competitive later on. There was one last last year, this old biddy. She uh, she robbed this guy's, uh, this guy's uh, dessert out of the um, out of the freezer on purpose, so it melted. Should have seen it. It was sabotage. Yeah, well, that, 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 that I can get on board with because, you know, there should be people going around and... Did you not cry with laughter breeze? when that woman started crying when her thing collapsed because she'd made it really shit? It's just a cake. It's not a cake. It is just a cake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean that that's television at its finest. I mean that my was good TV. my yeah. stomach hurt. I was laughing at that much, and <laughs> when she started crying, I only started laughing more. But I, I and think... that big soppy mess of a cake that just that she had to bring up to the judges, and it was just basically a it looked like a, a trifle. Yeah. Um, yeah. What what channel is Great British Bake Off on? BBC One. Yep. Uh, what time does it come on? That's cheating. I can't. That's not a fair question. Come on, guess what? On what time up. does it come on? Uh, seven. No, it's on Sunday. eight. It's not on a Sunday either. It's on like a Wednesday. Okay. Right. That wasn't even a question, but <laughs> I'm gonna just, mark you down. You genuinely sound hurt by that. You, you sound offended that I wouldn't. I wouldn't know. Yeah. Is it? Was it? Um. Is that ten questions, Jack? Because I'm running out. Um, I don't know. I've I've sort of just started looking at Twitter to be honest. Yeah. Should we agree that I've passed? Yeah, you've passed. Yeah, Yeah, I think you've passed. That's fair. Should we do? Should we do something sensible like uh, listener questions? Yeah, go on. Here we go. These from yesterday. All right. First one. Dominic Carpel says, "When teams come to the lane with the sole purpose of drawing, uh, in brackets, ten men behind the ball, what do you feel Pochettino can do tactically to counter this?" I think that's one of the way. That's one of the reasons why we need a little bit more pace in the team. Because when when when, yeah. um, when sides do that, the only real option. I mean, presumably with ten man behind the ball, um, they can try and clog up the middle. You've just got to stretch the pitch as much as possible, and you've got to put players on the pitch also who can who can win one on one battles. Whether that's by outpacing someone, beating them in the air, or creating space themselves, dribbling past. You know that kind of stuff. Um, that's why someone like Aaron Lennon used to be very useful. That's kind of you know, 21, 22-year-old Aaron Lennon rather than what he is now. Um, and that's why Bale was so important in that Villas Boas season because he could... He, remember the um, the Southampton game, which we won right at the death in Villas Boas last year, last full year, when we had no space to do anything all game, but we won the game because Bale was able to skip inside his uh, his marker, 
create space for himself and shoot from distance. So you need players with exceptional skill sets, really. Okay. Jack, do you want to add anything to that? Can't say fairer than that. Okay, I'll give you the next question then. It's from Elliot Graham, who says, True Detective Season 2, should I watch it? Do you know what? I've only watched the first three episodes so far. I'm I'm behind on that. So, but I would say yes. I've I've enjoyed those three episodes, and uh, I just think HBO are brilliant. Obviously, um, so do it for me. This season's a bit. To, to be honest, I would say the only elaborating as well. The only legitimate criticisms I've heard are the kind of thing that I just don't really take on board anyway. Even though I haven't seen it. The, the 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 way in which people are criticising it, I just kind of think, well, you know, shut up. The way in which I'd describe this this season without giving anything away is it's like when you, you know when you boil milk and there's that moment where it goes from boiling to it's about to come out of the pan any second. That's what it's mm-hmm. like. It, it, it simmers for a while and then suddenly it looks as if it's going to come out of the pan, um, which describes the pace of, of how the episodes are set out. Um, so a lot happens towards the end. It's a bit, it's a bit bottlenecked in terms of narrative, but I'm not sure that's necessarily a bad thing because you you earn what you get towards the end of it. Did you guys not prefer also, the, 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 the the first season's format when you had them in the interview rooms? I loved it. Oh, of it course, was, of course, so but you can't you can't do you that can't again. Repeat it, but you could have. I don't know. I just it misses a sort of a, a similarly quirky dynamic. Yeah, it's a bit more formulaic this time around, but it yeah. is it's still it's still better than most of what is it's, on television. It's, it's above average well, television. They've exactly. they've they've also kind of tried to replace that with like Vince Vaughn and Colin Farrell's meetings in that dingy bar at the end, haven't yeah, they? Yeah, with, the, with the most miserable guitarist in the world, always playing miserable atmospheric music. Just so happens to be when they're. Uh, there, and it always makes me want to drink Modelo as well because Colin Farrell's always drinking Modelo beer in that bar and it's a very, very nice, very nice beer. Can't find it very often, but there we go. I haven't drunk for over a week, by the way. So They say alcoholics give up um, drinking for weeks at a time just to prove to themselves they can give it up, but that's one of the first signs that you're actually an alcoholic. Oh, mate, mate, I'm, I'm completely on board with the fact I'm probably a functioning alcoholic, but you know, yeah, like most people are in their late 20s, early 30s, if they're not completely teetotal. Yeah, Seb remembers that from and 10 then, years ago. <laughs> um, the next question from Anthony Silver. Um, he says it's a question for Joe Brandon panel. Um, he says... Um, <laughs> well, I don't know who Joe Brand is. Um... Uh, I look a bit like Joe Brown. I actually do. If you put a dress on, you you may look (laughs) Probably. Dress in a wig. Uh, Anyway, um, he says, prediction for surprise star of the season. Last season, not many would have foreseen the rise of Kane. So who this season? Um, I don't know. I suppose if if it's going to be a surprising player, it might be someone like Alex Pritchard. I mean, I I have no idea whether he's going to translate into the Premier League at all, but he's got that kind of skill set which might make him quite popular with the fans creative player good with his feet he'll take players on you know it's, it's the crowd will, will respond to him so um yeah I'll, I'll go Pritchard surprising player I'm gonna I'm gonna say Kyle Walker is that allowed are we allowed to say Kyle Walker yeah, yeah. That's fair. That's yeah. Fair. That's fair. I, I think yeah. Kyle Walker's gonna I, I mean you'll you'll probably still have naysayers he can probably have a world-class performance week in week out and people will still be waiting for that one bad game that he has but I don't know I've got I've got hope that Carl Walker's gonna gonna turn it around a bit this year. He did play very well at Old yeah. Trafford. I've I've always had, I've always held a bit of a torch for Carl Walker though. I think he's 
he's a decent player. Yeah, but I don't by any means think he's immense. But do I think someone like Nathaniel Klein is head and shoulders above him? I, I don't really at all. And he's someone who gets waxed lyrical about. But, you know, there we go. I hear the silence of disagreement from you too. No, no, no. I think that's <laughs> a very intelligent, uh, a very, uh, very intelligent answer. I'd yeah. go along with that. Um, Christ, I, what's what's I, happened I, to you? What's, what's what's been put into your water veins? <laughs> I'd um I'd I'd pick Ben Davies myself. Um, well, that's just me. Um, I thought he played well. Mm-hmm. He as well. very very much did. Yeah, um, you can hear all that of course in the other episode we did straight after that that game. In case you're wondering why we didn't talk about it, it's the last one. Um, this next question from Stephen Howes quite possibly is the best question we've ever been asked. Because uh, when I read it, I laughed because it, it is a question that I've never asked you to before. Um, so it might be interesting. Is uh, He said, I'd like to hear about the presenter's experience at secondary school. All very different, I should imagine. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, Seb, what was it like back in the day of the cane? <laughs> it's different. It's different. I, um, my, it was my, the plimsoll, my... actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I went to boarding school, so... Uh, yeah, they sent me away when I was thirteen, and uh, no, I, I actually really enjoyed school. I loved it. It was, um, it was a lot. Was of it anything like Roll Doll's Boy, like having to warm toilet seats and things like that? No, that that kind of depiction of of kind of place where I went to school is a little bit outdated. It it did used to be like that, um, but from sort of the seventies onwards, all the kind of the uh, the sort of subversive parts of Boy have been. Um, been pretty much limited there's, uh, there's there's still like the odd weird idiosyncrasy um, soggy biscuit no no <laughs> but it's um no it was just just another school really but it was um it was a lot of fun jack what was secondary school like for you we've already heard about your, your horrible time at university did it rival that <laughs> uh it was it was i was well i was sort of like the uh I'd probably, the closest I could probably paint myself to being at secondary school was Eric Cartman, a kind of like (laughs) angry, nasty fat kid that like wasn't really bullied. Like people would try and bully me and it just wouldn't really work because I was a bit too much of a gobshite. And I was just kind of angry and made fun of people and wasn't particularly that nice. So not much has changed really. After we dress you up as Joe Brand, can you please dress up as Eric Cartman? I can do that. I can do that. That's quite a good Halloween costume, actually, as well. Even though I yeah. deplore fancy dress. Yeah, I, 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 fancy dress. For, I forced funds, not oh, any good. I absolutely hate it. Um, I rate enjoyed high school. I only went to high school five minutes away from where I live now. Um, so it was, it was really nice and convenient. I, I, you know, for me, high school was two separate things, you know. The academic and the social side were completely different academically. Um, I think one of the teachers summed it up best when um, I was either in a report or a parents' evening where he sat down with parents or, or wrote it down. He said, uh, Raj is quite possibly the most frustrating student we've ever had. He, he has so much natural ability but fails to use it with such regularity. It's baffling. Because um, I just spent most of my time pissing about, to be honest, um, because I grew up with young parents having teachers that are a similar sort of age i just had no respect for them whatsoever and used to treat them <laughs> as if they were either my peers or below me and some of them really took to that i mean some of them some of them i still speak to now um because they, they sort of understand that um some of them completely hated me for for example um my maths teacher 
I was in set one maths when I arrived, um, and he sent me down within about a month because he he just didn't like me. Nothing to do with ability. Um, the following year, we had a different teacher, and I got sent back up a year, and I got on with her. Next year, we got him again, and he sent me back down within about <laughs> a week. Um, so that was it. But uh, socially, I always got on with everyone. Um, you, when you sort of... I never had any... You know when people do you do that all that angsty high school stuff? I was lucky enough to avoid the majority of that playing, yeah. you know, football and cricket and having a good set of mates that the majority of which I still see to this day um, is, is really good. And I think I made... The thing that probably made high school for me was the fact that I left um, to go to a different sixth form. So I never... I didn't outstay my welcome there, which was probably the the most sensible decision I've ever made. But... Um, I, I very much enjoyed it. I don't think any of us have had any traumatic experiences at school, which is is, is, is good. <laughs> it's not like uh, one of those American, um, you know, dramas where somebody's like stuffed in their locker or anything like that. No, no, not, not that no. you would have been able to fit me in a locker when I was like six foot when I was twelve. <laughs> 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 but um, next question um, from Ricardo Savini. Uh, who says, I think Lamella would be excellent as Ericsson's direct competition for the number 10 role. Should Potch scrap the idea of playing Lamella on the wing now? Well, the first part of that question is, is who are you playing there instead to start with? Uh, I, I, I actually like the idea of Lamella playing through the middle, um, even if it's on a sort of part-time basis. Um, but I, um, I, the, one, the, one, the one caveat with that is that Lamella isn't as decisive a passer as Ericsson is so whilst you may get a little bit more dynamism in that area the the supply to a to a Kane or to those wide players would probably be less result, reliable as a result and you know at the, at the time of recording this we don't have a player that can play on the right side instead of him so that that's a bit it also often seems to me that when the two of them play together on the same pitch they don't really have like they're not that rigid positionally anyway there's a quite a lot of interchange and there's a that's the perfect like, point, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of like fluid motion between the two of them anyway, so it's... Yeah, that's absolutely true. That's exactly what I was going to say. I don't think you should... If, if Ericsson's not playing for any reason, then, as Seb said, I think you answered this between you perfectly. I mean, there's nobody really to deputise for him permanently on the wing, and there should be a level of fluidity within the side that he's able to have five, ten minutes here and there within the course of 90 to have a crack through the middle should Ericsson drift wider for a portion, so... Um, there's there's no need to I think so so obviously move him, um, which is good. Uh, just a, just a casual reminder that Tim Sherwood once played Nasser Chadley as a holding midfielder as well. Mm. There we go. Carl Walker is a uh, right, right yeah, right winger. <laughs> um, Daniel Platt um, sentences. Uh, would Crouchy, which I don't like, uh, would Peter Crouch fit in the Spurs of today? Uh, which team has he made the most difference for, Stoke or Spurs? Uh, no, he wouldn't, because we're not really... Uh, all of our width comes from fullback at the moment, really. Um, and we're not a team... Uh, first of all, you couldn't really play Crouch as, the, as a single centre-forward in Pochettino's system, because... He doesn't have the, um, he doesn't get around the pitch well enough, so you couldn't use him as that kind of first line of defence. Kane does a lot of hassling, he does a lot of uh, pressing his defenders high up the pitch, and Crouch just, we we all know how Peter Crouch runs. It's not really what he does. Um, yeah, maybe he would benefit from the occasional Walker, Trippier, Rose, Davis, Cross, but 
today. Um, no, I, I, I think he probably was most useful at Spurs, though. I think that um, I think he made a great contribution that season, that Champions League yeah. season. Um, and even to get us into um, it. That, that's that's what I mean. I mean, I, I just think that he was... We still had that sort of the capability to go from back to front really quickly and, and Crouch Crouch was very good at that. And people people knock him and they, they treat him as a, some kind of circus act. But actually, he's a pretty good footballer, um, even when the ball's on the floor. And, and he was very good at what he did. Um, but just, we, we've evolved. Yeah, the photos of Peter Crouch in a Tottenham shirt will always live long in the memory because he was yeah. he was there or thereabouts in the big moments over those few seasons. Yeah, getting getting sent off in the Bernabeu, all that, you know. Yeah, that was that was weird, wasn't it? But no one will ever forget that moment of of him scoring at the Etihad. That, oh. that was wonderful. Oh, San Siro, wonderful, wonderful moment. Oh, San Siro, oh. yeah, absolutely. But he scored other goals in that season. Like he, I remember him scoring that towering header against. Um, Birmingham at the lane, really late on, if, if I remember rightly. He also scored um, the hat trick in the return leg against Young Boys of Burn, which we wouldn't have even did. made into the group stages had it not been for that. He scored that outrageous back heel or to back flick against Doncaster in the League Cup. Some um, of his yeah, he, he did is a, didn't he score a hat trick against Arsenal when he played for Liverpool as well? An absolutely yeah, ludicrous yeah, yeah. hat trick at that. It was a perfect hat trick, that. It was yeah. a perfect, yeah, yeah, yeah. Left foot, right foot header, yeah. But one uh, of them was like a, an obscene volley, wasn't it? Yeah, he did a couple of bicycle kicks while he was at Liverpool, yeah. Like a scissor, yeah. like scissor half tilting kick, which because he is the length of a ladder just looks very <laughs> yeah. odd. Um, the next question is from Rob Fuchs. Um, who says... Is, is his name noted. Rob Fox, but you're just reading it in your accent? No, Rob Fuchs. <laughs> no, it's double O K. Yes, um, Rob Fuchs. Um, that's more Lancashire. That Ook thing. It's not. It's not Yorkshire. Yeah, just, um, a, just a cheap Northern gag, really, mate. To be honest. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the only cheap gags we make are about Seb's age. We we don't <laughs> joke about where oh, I'm from. The third time in half an hour. You filled the quota. <laughs> Uh, You're pushing him we'll into see. an existential crisis Tuesday. Anyway, we'll get back to <laughs> fucking Rob Fuchs. Um, okay, sorry. Fuchs, Rob, Fuchs, Rob, Fuchs. Uh, sorry, Rob. Uh, you've, he's probably had all this at high school. If we asked him that question before, it's just going to be him rocking in a corner about all the time somebody wrote Rob Fuchs on the back of his book. Um, it's been noted that our squad looks very bare at present, so how many and which signings do we need in order to avoid burning out like the end of last season? Sorry, repeat the question, mate. I drifted off a bit there. Jesus. It's been noted that our squad looks very bare at present. So how many and which signings do we need in order to avoid burning out like the end of last season? <sighs> Christ. That is a tough question, to be honest, isn't it? I mean, like, we urgently, urgently need at least two strikers, really. Um I mean, Hernandez isn't going to happen because we're not going to sell them Kane, and I'm pretty happy about that anyway. Like, obviously not losing Kane, but I don't really want Hernandez at Spurs. There's a lot of talk about Njai, isn't it? Is that how it's pronounced? I I, I was reading, but I've never seen Njai play. But I, I read about him yesterday and um, on French on French Football Weekly. And the interesting thing about him is that not only is he extremely quick, but he is also a forward slash winger. So if we were to buy him, that it's kind of two players in one because it's that Danny Ings maybe, conundrum kind of thing. Yeah, a little bit because, or it's sort of same as Berahino, really. If you have a player that can cover those positions, then 
the idea, I suppose, would be to uh, grow him on the wing before he's ready to play the more central role in a few years. Time. The, so the Thierry Henry transition. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure Clinton and Jay is quite in that category, but he um, apparently. I'd take this ninja lad before we before we bought Berahino. I'd take ninja. I think we're going to sign Berahino yeah, as well. Yeah, I, I really don't want Berahino. Really? Oh, I don't want him for that money. I mean, I like the if, it, if if we could have him for ten million, I'd love him. But I I um and by the way, pe- people saying that Berahino is just this year's Jermaine Defoe that that's not really true. Berahino actually does quite a lot outside the box, and he's he's a he's a much more complete player than Jermaine Defoe ever was. He's still not a great player. For Fifteen million is the upper limit for me. I think he's I think he's yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, that I agree. I think he's decent. I don't think he's like a worldie or anything I don't think he's ever going to be but 15 is he's not a destiny changing player no it would be the same as us for example signing Danny Welbeck last year that kind of placeholder signing that's exactly right yeah yeah. Danny Welbeck's got twice the amount of brilliant that Berahino has but I I mean it more just Mm. in the respect that like you're not gonna neither one of those guys is gonna there's not even that hope where you look at someone like Deli Ali for example Deli Ali could could go on to be like you know a superstar for us like Gareth Bale went on to be I'm not saying he's going to be in as as good as Gareth Bale but I'm saying when we signed Gareth Bale there was always that promise that he could be immense yeah. whereas like Berahino Welbeck you kind of know what their limit is really you know what you're going to get from them yeah it's not a direct comparison of the two players because they're yeah. very different but it's um it's a squad status thing and it's Kevin Morales another example right yeah, yeah, that's another one. Yeah. Don't want him either. Um, he's signed a new contract at Everton, so he's not coming. Aaron Lennon's supposedly going to them for five million, um, which is probably best for all parties concerned because he appears uh, uh, to have. Well, he's training with the youth team. Yeah, he, he might he I'm holding hope by the by the tip I got from my pal as well that we're going to get Sven Bender. So yeah. genuinely, as well, I'm not not even taking the piss. Reliable ITK, ITK. I take that. I'd love Sven Bender. Because uh, we do need someone else. Do you, do you want to share the, the information which implies that, or do you want to? Keep uh, there's certain parts of it I can't mention, but I have a, a, a pal that works within the sporting industry, who assures us that there's some movements behind the scenes that would at least indicate that something's happening. I said, "Oh, God, can we cut this out? I sound like a, such a cunt. You're not going to cut it out, are you?" I'm one of these fucking ITK cunts, but it's true. I'm not just no, saying it to be a twat. It's actually this. true. This, this For once, I've actually heard something about Spurs, and I want to share it. But yeah, I'm a cunt. Sorry. You're not supposed Sorry, to share Seb's it, are you? Sorry, Seb's mum. I don't like using that word either. I told you this last time, Seb. I always get guilty yeah, every yeah. time I use that word now. Because you know my mum watches now. What word? Even, yeah. The C word. Okay. Um... <laughs> Seb, what does your mum make of all the old jokes? Does she find them funny? Does she crack her own? No, basically, when when we when Jack and I first sort of started down this path, she phoned me up a couple of days later. I think she listens she she she's listens to the pod on the way to work. I think or the way back. It's usually a few days late. And she phoned me up and said, "Look, I I don't want you getting weird about turning thirty. You know, that's that's still very young." And she had this kind of yeah, she she was concerned about me. I think. Oh, bless her. <laughs> Nah, my mum's a good person. She, yeah, she sounds it. She, she'll be comfortable now that you've gone fifty. Um, a fi- final question from uh, Jack Ingleton. 
um, says, why are we so poor at attacking corners? Uh, we have players that should be able to deliver a good ball, such as Ericsson, and plenty of height in the squad. The thing that I think about corners, though, is the thing that I always remember is the best player I've ever seen play for Tottenham is Luka Modric, and nine times out of ten, he couldn't clear the first mark. Oh, he's cool as well. But do you, I tell you, there's another thing I've learnt from doing this podcast, aside for, you know... <laughs> Everyone Rogers says this year at corners. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Every single team, nearly every single person we've spoken to has said their team is shit at corners, which just suggests to me that corners are just too easy to defend now. You know, people just can deal with it. There's only, surely there's there's a finite amount of ways you can approach a corner, right? And, you know, you learn to kind of deal with it. And, yeah. Well, you, I suppose the way to look at it is that if you can defend well, you should never concede from a corner, realistically. I mean, there are very few players who who have good enough delivery to, to take... I mean, Beckham was probably one of them at some time. Um, there are very few players in the league who are good enough to, to take away you know, centre-backs, full-backs, deep midfielders out of the out of the situation. So Good old backs. Yeah. Good old backs, indeed. That's all the questions. And we don't, because Ericsson can't. How many times a game do you see Ericsson hit the first man from a corner? For a player, it's incredible for, for a player as good as yeah. he is. So there we have it, lads. I think that's it for Rule the Roost this week. Um, if you have enjoyed the podcast, you can listen to the previous episodes on our shiny, brand spanking new website, rtrpod.com. Um, there's links to this thing called Acast, where our pods are hosted now. There's also an app. There's like an Acast app, and you can listen to loads of other podcasts. It's like Spotify of podcasts, apparently. Um sounding like my dad now, aren't I? Um, but yeah, download it from there or on iTunes. Follow us at RTR underscore pod again. Once again, um, big thank you and shout out to at Yidnik who has redesigned our aesthetic, if you like, um, for Facebook, for the pod, and for Twitter. It's given us a nice kind of avi and a header image and all that kind of stuff. It's very good. He, he did our new background. He did Twitter. indeed. Yeah, he's done a lot. He's done some great work. He's, uh, yeah, I like. I, I like. I like his kind of like weird approach to things. I, I... Oh, um, Jack, we've got um, yeah, we've we've got to issue the uh, the fancy football public service. Oh, go. For, oh, yeah, go on, Seb. I, I won't. I won't take this from you, mate. No, that's okay. No, we we um. Nikhil, you know why and, and uh, you know what you've done. Uh, you've been expelled from the Fancy League. Uh, and, and this is a warning for everyone. We, we said at the beginning that we wanted a league without Arsenal players and with no John Terry. Uh, and Nikhil not only included two Arsenal players, but also John Terry. And, and then was, laughed in our felt. faces when we reprimanded And then laughed him. in our faces on Sunday uh, morning. And we just thought you know what? that surly attitude and that, that lack of contrition, yeah, it added up to expulsion. So from now on... Um, we um we will uh, announce the sort of the weekly leaders, but um if you are found to contain illegal players, you will be ejected without mercy. It's like Stalin's Russia, only better. <laughs> you sound you're very scary. There. I've you never heard you how scary, Seb. To be honest, no, I, I take my fantasy football very seriously, and we we run a pure league at Rule the Roost, and we don't want people abusing it. I think that's fair. There you go. That's very fair. I think that is fair. Right, um, so there we have it. Rule the Roost podcast is done for another week. I hope you've enjoyed it. Goodbye.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 